I'm Brandon Reed, and you're listening to Real Estate for the Rest of Us, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the world of real estate investing. I want to cut through all the industry jargon and instead serve up actionable and unintimidating information that you can use in your own real estate journey. I interview real estate professionals, and we talk about their real-life experiences. It's real simple. Now let's get into the show. In today's episode, I talk with Dayton Norheim. Dayton goes in-depth into a fascinating deal that he did some years back with some pretty wild numbers. Here are a few. Purchase price, $0. Lean amount, $300,000. And profit made on the flip, $50,000. Now, I'm no seasoned pro, but it doesn't exactly take one to know that those numbers don't add up. In our interview, you'll hear a detailed breakdown of how Dayton and his team worked with the seller and the county to negotiate the lien amount down and flip this property retail for about $100,000 in about three months. Needless to say, that's pretty awesome. I hope that in this interview, you find practical insights that you can learn from or directly apply as you continue on your own journey in real estate. And now, here's my conversation with Dayton. All right. Uh, we got Dayton Norheim with us today on the show. How are you doing today, Dayton? I am doing fantastic. I uh, just made it back from a little hurricane vacation and uh, ready to get back to work. <laughs> That's one way to look at it, I guess, a vacation. huh? Did you stick around or did you go somewhere else? Uh, I actually, my wife lives in Gainesville right now. So I ran okay. up and uh, spent a couple days with her, saw a nice volleyball game um, and enjoyed a little bit of time with her. That'll happen, man. When the when the hurricane kind of takes that northeastern track, it's like, well, we prepared and we took off work, so relax. <laughs> uh, wait, you know? I'm, I'm counting my blessings. Uh, yeah, I know sure. The people in the Bahamas, what they definitely what they experienced, that was pretty much as terrible as terrible can get. So yeah, yeah. Um, feel blessed, and I feel worried for them. So for sure, yeah. It's it's good we're on the other side of it. Um, at least down here in the south. So, um, yeah, let me, let me just start here. Let me get right into it and ask you, um, just kind of a basic, uh, 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 foundational question of how you got started in real estate Dayton and, uh, what kind of drew you in, what got you interested? Uh, well, so for me, my story is different than most, you know, I, okay. I hear a lot of people who want to change their life, quit their jobs. Well, that wasn't quite me, you know, in my case, uh, my wife uh, is getting her doctorate in neuropsychology, and so we ended up moving down to Florida um, because she got accepted into school. And in a nutshell, what happened, my sister was actually friends with a real estate investor, and when he found out who I was, what I did, I met him a couple times. He said, hey, have you ever thought about real estate? And I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Um, I didn't quite have that drive that most people do, but once you, you start it, you do a couple deals, you're hooked, man, and you'll never want to leave. So um, obviously my road's a little bit different, but I'm glad I'm here. Yeah, that's awesome. And what did you, um, what did you start doing? Were you wholesaling at the beginning? You may have said that, but what were you doing? Yeah, no, I, I started off wholesaling. Okay. Um, I remember my first conversation. I didn't even quite understand what it was. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, after I spent a couple days doing it, uh, my business partner, Jack, uh, my very first day, I showed up in a, a suit and tie, um, and he looked at me like I was crazy. Yeah, knowing Jack, and, yeah, that's, uh, I bet he yeah. did look at you like you were crazy. Uh, he, I think uh, to this day, he still was like, what is this kid doing? <laughs> um, yeah. But we ended up going around to like 11 houses on my first day, and we made an offer on one. We picked it up. 
Um, and I was pretty much hooked at that point. It was fun to see oh. everything that was different and all the, the strange and unusual houses that we get to go into on a regular basis. Yeah, for sure. So you started, um, on the wholesaling side and is that what you're still doing today? What are you, uh, what are you up to now? So, um, myself, um, Jack Scaccio and Lindsay Zalnowski, we have our own wholesaling company, um, called JDL Wholesaling, uh, obviously our first uh, letters of our names. Um, okay. and, and that's a, a primary thing, but we also, uh, we flip houses, uh, right now, I think we've got four or five flips going on. Uh, and then we're also landlords. I just, uh, Jack and I bought a new house, um, last month that was supposed to get its first tenant, um, actually during the hurricane. So that's obviously a little oh, delay okay. there, but, uh, um, we're, we're pretty busy trying to make everything happen. And, and I love all the aspects of real estate investing. Yeah, for sure. That's cool. Um, that's cool. You've found some partners um, that you work well with. That's not a given. So that's really cool. Yep. Um, so uh, when I'd reached out, Dayton and said like, hey, you know, I would love to have you on the podcast. What would you like to talk about? You threw something at me and I was like, that sounds interesting. Let's talk about that. You had mentioned that um, at some point you had done a deal with a home that had uh, at or around uh, $300,000 in, in liens and outstanding liens. Tell me a little bit about that. Kind of break that down for me. Um, as much detail as you think would be helpful, uh, kind of how you went about getting it, how you found it, what the negotiation was like, because that, that, uh, that sounds pretty crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, this is a story that some people have heard bits and pieces about, but very rarely have they ever heard the whole story because it is pretty in-depth and involved. Yeah. Um, but in a nutshell, uh, you know, we, we were sending out letters and I think we were actually sending out delinquent tax letters, um, at the time. I don't exactly remember. Maybe it was absentee. It doesn't really matter. Um, but I got a phone call from a guy and basically what he said was he said he needed help. And when I tried to talk to him about what it was, he said, well, you know, the, the city's kind of been after me a little bit. Um, <laughs> I think I owe some money and I, I don't remember exactly, but I think the first number he threw out there was something like 17,000 or 19,000, something like that, that he was supposed to owe. And so we were looking into it and doing a little research. And uh, we ended up checking with code enforcement and we ended up finding out that he actually owed somewhere. It was like 317,000 bucks and they were fining him uh, $500 a day um, for various Holy delinquencies moly. on the property. So let me, and, let me actually just ask you a question about that. So yeah. with the, with the heart kind of behind this podcast being, being one that, um, you know, people can kind of find uh, approachable content that, uh, that they can, uh, kind of get their feet in real estate, uh, get their feet wet w into real estate with help me understand how you even got to that point of code enforcement is what is code enforcement? How do you uh, find that? Is that what you always do to check for um, back payments? What is that process? Um, normally, we, we don't check ourselves per se. We let the title companies do it, and then they'll tell okay. us that the house has clear title. But when he gave us an idea and said that there was something going on, um, we said, uh, well, let's call him. And basically, you ca I called code enforcement and tried to explain to him what was going on. That's with the county, um, I guess, right? Correct. Yes, okay. exactly. And actually, because of the size of it, they ended up referring me to a city attorney. Um, and so okay. then I was actually in communication with a city attorney who told me how much the code enforcement liens were. Um, and I should also add that another thing that made this interesting was we found out there was additional 
um, liens against the property as well, because what had happened was the mother uh, lived in the house. And unfortunately, she passed away and she, she passed it on to her son. Well, her son never went um, about the process of getting it homesteaded in his name. Uh. And so like eight years or nine years later, they found out that the house was homesteaded in her name, but she had passed away and he had never done the paperwork. So they hit him with all of the increases, uh. and a bunch of penalties. And I think that was an additional like thirteen or $15,000 as well on top of the code enforcement liens, just because he had never done the paperwork and done his own homestead. Wow. Yeah. So that, that was a, a, a fiasco all in itself. But I mean, it's, it's all stuff. If I'm giving advice to people who are starting out, there are lots of people out there that will help you. I had never dealt with a situation like this. It was yeah. something entirely new to me. Um, I mean, hopefully mm -hmm. many people don't deal with this. Um, and, and essentially, I would call up, you know, I, I started with code enforcement. And I said, hey, my name is Dayton. Um, I'm trying to buy this house. This is what's going on. And the, the person on the other end of the line, I don't remember their name, but they were super helpful, super friendly. And they said, listen, I'm sorry, this is beyond my pay grade because it's gotten mm -hmm. so large. Let me refer you to the city attorney. And, you know, when I got a hold of her, I'll be honest, I was scared. You know, you think city attorney and you're yeah. thinking, you know, whatever, just just a, a big imposing figure that I thought would be this, <laughs> you know, scary figure. Yeah. And honestly, she wasn't. She couldn't have been nicer. Mm. Um, and I had a conversation with her and it, it basically started off with, listen, this is in a part of town, um, you know, that needs some revitalization. I'm here to fix it. Um, you know, this is what we do. We come in and we'll rehab the house. We'll take care of all the code enforcement liens. Uh, we'll put a nice tenant in the property, um, and basically make it a great place to live for someone in your community, you know, and again, it, it just helps to revitalize. And she was completely on board. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we ended up having to do a bunch of work. This, this was not a, an overnight deal. Um, I had to do a complete scope of work for example, and send it to her and everything from the roof being replaced to um, new flooring, new paint, some electrical work. We had to replace the panel in the house. Um, all of that had to be detailed out with costs um, to give her an approximate value of everything that we were going to be doing. Um, and then she actually had to take it to the building department and they had to approve that what we said we were going to do, the costs were right and everything else um, in order that, to get the, this whole project approved. That's interesting. That that So when you first said, like, um, I sent the scope of work, I thought maybe that was just like a good faith thing. Um, but that was that was uh, required. Why? Why? Like, that sounds obviously very atypical from just rehabbing a house. You don't have to contact the county and tell them what you're going to do. Why was that required here? So that's actually a great question. And. So what happened was, was her and I negotiated the dollar amount down. And she, what happens okay. is with code enforcement, they have hard costs. And so let's say that the, the code enforcement has been mowing the lawn for the past year. Well, those are hard costs that they had to pay somebody for. So you can't negotiate that away. Okay. Yep. But their, their $500 a day fines, you can. Well, this house had like $1,200 or $1,400 in hard costs. Um, plus they needed, I think it was about 2000 bucks for, um, their clerical work and filing papers and this and that and whatever. Um, so originally 
she had said that she could come down to, I think it was eight grand. And I said, I'm sorry. I said, that just isn't good enough. You know, that's too much that we would have to pay on top of everything else to make this deal work. I said, we need to be somewhere around $3,600. So anyway, she said, let me go to bat for you, Dayton. And at this point, we'd probably talked on the phone like 20 or 25 times. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, well, I mean, we, we, we're friends. That, that's all I'm saying. We, we spent a lot of time on the phone <laughs> together. Super yeah. nice. But she went, got it approved. Okay. So once she got the $3,600 approved, we had to provide that scope of work because what we did was we had to buy the house and she gave me a written piece of paper that said, if you complete this scope of work, then we will drop the code enforcement liens down uh, to the okay. $3,600. Meaning like if you make the home, it, if you do what you're saying you're going to do by making the home look nice and really revamping it, not just saying you're going to, but making it actually, actually flipping the home, uh, then we'll do that for you. And the scope of work was her proof of that. Exactly right. Okay. Yes. Okay. And throughout the process, um, I think we had three months to do it. Um, and every month I would have to give her an update and usually it would follow some pictures. And so, you know, Oh, we got flooring done and I'd send her a picture. And then, um, you know, we got the electrical panel done and we had to have the inspection. Obviously we, we had to do, um, permits on everything. So once the permit was pulled, she would look up the permit make sure the job was finished. And then she would check off those lines, um, to make sure that we were doing the job as we said we would. Um, but that was a little bit of good faith on both of our parts, because I'll be honest, we essentially are buying the house with the liens in place. Oh, and wow. If we yeah. failed to, to fulfill our side of the contract, essentially, and I guess it's not quite a contract, but a good faith agreement, um, we would have been stuck with those $300,000 code enforcement liens. Um, but obviously we weren't going to let that happen. So that so, sounds very involved. I mean, she's that's a lot of work. I mean, you're taking pictures of like, you know, uh, 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 progress of your updates in your rehab uh, uh, jobs, and she's looking through those. That sounds super involved. Is that uh, that also sounds atypical? Surely she's not doing that with every home that's being uh, bought with with back payments, or is it just because this was so huge? This was such a big um, amount that she was dropping. That's why she was more involved. Well, from what I understand from our conversations was, yes, you're right, because of the, the volume or the size of the amount, but mm-hmm. also because of the length of time that it had been going on. Okay. Um, I, I don't remember the exact you know, time that they had started finding this guy, but it was something like seven or eight years. Um, and, and once it got to be something that long and continuous, then it got forward to the city's attorney, and that's why the, the normal code enforcement um, didn't want to take care of it. Okay. So yeah, so that, um, that, that's just really interesting. I've never heard of, okay. So you're working with, um, with an actual city attorney, you're saying, here's the, the, the project updates as you're doing it. Um, give me an idea of what some of those, you said kind of high level, but go a little bit deeper for me on what the rehab looked like and maybe some numbers around that. You probably don't remember uh, exact, but some round numbers around, uh, what the project looked like and what you had to do to it, how much that cost. Sure. So the, the house as a whole, um, the bones of it were pretty solid. Okay. Um, you know, the, the plumbing was fine. The electrical was pretty good for the most part, uh, other than it needed a new panel, which we ended up replacing. Um, we paid, I want to say, 700 bucks or so roughly for the new panel. 
usually when we get them done, it's about seven to nine hundred bucks. Uh, we painted the whole house inside and out. Okay. Um, that cost us roughly, I think it was right around fifteen hundred to two thousand bucks um, for that. We put in all new flooring and. Whenever we have a rental property, we usually like to use, there's a nice peel and stick product um, that we buy at, uh, at Home Depot. Um, I want to say it's something like 89 cents a square foot okay. um, when it goes on sale. And, and you can get it in a nice dark brown. You can get it in a gray color. But for rentals, it's great because if something happens and a tile gets damaged, you can literally peel it right on up. Wow. You just clean the spot where it was, and then you stick down a new piece, and it's wonderful. Okay. Um, so, so we use that in a lot of different rentals because it doesn't have to be crazy nice flooring. But this stuff looks really nice, and generally it holds up very well. Hmm. Um, so we did that. Uh, we did end up having to do some work in the kitchen. Um, we kept the cabinets, but I think we put in new countertops. Um, hmm. And it was just the, the laminate or Formica countertops that you can buy that are okay. somewhere around... I think they're 100 or 150 bucks for 10 feet of it. Um, and then you just cut it out to, to make it look nice. Um, we replaced the vanity. We sprayed out the bathroom um, or the guest bathroom. And then in the master bathroom, we did replace the, the tile surround. Um, and again, put in a new vanity, new toilet um, and finish that off in there. And then there was just a little bit of drywall patching and whatever, but nothing crazy. Okay. Okay. Um, we, we so ended was there, up spending. Oh, go go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. Finish your thought. Well, I was just going to say, I think our total rehab was somewhere right around 20,000 bucks this year or so, 22,000 maybe. Um, and, and that pretty much, oh, and I should say there was this landscaping in the back. I think it cost us, I don't even remember what the number was, but uh, there was a bunch of big trees in the back. Mm -hmm. uh, the lawn hadn't been mowed in, in years. I mean, it was waist high with, with oh, wow. and all kinds of stuff living in it. <laughs> um, so, I mean, yeah, it, there was definitely some, some big projects that we ended up doing, but, uh, it ended up working out very well. So was there, um, that, that around 20 K figure. So was that what you estimated? Was there any big surprises, um, that you guys had to do more than you thought? Um, honestly on that one, that one was probably our, one of our most straightforward, Okay. Um, well, we did, we did the roof as well. I guess I forgot to mention that. Um, okay. there really wasn't much for surprises in that house. It was a nice cool. solid house. It just needed uh, to be cleaned and fixed up. Um, and it really worked out pretty well. Awesome. Um, the, so going in, you had, like you said, you had a, a kind of a, you know, a good faith handshake agreement that, uh, those liens would be, uh, forgiven, or I don't know the right terminology, but, uh, erased. Yep. Uh, and so in, and if she would have left her job or uh, had a bad day and decided, I mean, that could have, that could have <laughs> dissolved. Did you guys have, and not that you uh, needed to, you could have just gotten away with one, but like, um, did you have another exit strategy? Was there a plan B if that happened? Or did you just feel good about the agreement that you had and you thought, you know what, these will be forgiven and, and we'll be able to flip this with profit? Well, I, I should say that I got it in a document emailed to me from her official letter. Okay, okay. Um, so, I, I mean, I had pretty good documentation All right. um, that she had agreed to it. Uh, that is all, honestly, that is always a concern and you're exactly right sure. in making sure that you cross your T's and dot your I's with people because you don't know. Um, one day they could be happy as a clam and the next day, uh, gone, you know, the, who knows, maybe she joins the private sector, 
Um, you know, there, there's a million things yeah. that happen. So that's a very good point. And I should have said that, but no, I, I had official documents from her that said, Hey, this is our agreement. Um, and, and so we did have that to fall back on. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Um, so uh, I, that, I mean, that's, that's a crazy story. I appreciate you going into that, especially the numbers. That's really helpful to give context. Have you had any other experience doing that? Have you ever, have you, uh, or maybe the better way to ask it is how common is that as a wholesaler looking at distressed property, finding sellers in difficult situations? Um, how common is it to run into people who have, uh, who the home has, uh, liens on it or judgments do, uh, and you have to help cover that or negotiate it down. Is that pretty common? Well, I mean, honestly, if we're talking about any kind of lien or judgment, um, it does happen fairly frequently. Um, You know, I can think of one lady, uh, she was upside down on a vehicle and uh, the company actually ended up repoing the vehicle and then they put a lien against the house for like $14,000 or $17,000. Oh, um, wow. th- that she had no idea about. And, you know, she was like, oh, no, the title's clear and this is going to go easy and, you know, whatever else. <laughs> oh, no. And then the title search came back and I said, I don't know how to tell you this, but you've got a, a $17,000 lien from, and then I said, what car company it was. And she mm. said, oh, no, that followed me. Yeah, they follow you. Their money. Now, <laughs> yeah. the good news was, was that I, I gave her some help. I told her what to do. I told her to call them. Um, and I think that she got either seven or $10,000 knocked off that and okay. basically ended up only paying half of what she owed um, to that company. So, I mean, that ended up being a silver lining um, that she probably never would have, yeah. you know, because it would have followed her forever. But if somebody didn't help her and tell her who to call and whatever else, um, she probably would have ended up paying the full amount. So, Um, but I mean, yeah, we come across all kinds of different liens and it always amazes me because people, you know, 90% of people say, Oh no, my house title is clean. Um, and and then they always come up with these surprises from credit card companies (laughs) or car companies or divorces, Mm -hmm. um, things like that, that they don't realize are liens against the property. Wow. Um, so when you, um, if somebody, if a, if a new investor runs into that or, or just an investor who maybe runs into this for the first time, uh, is the first step with, uh, if you, if you find that out, if you do a title, um, if you do a title search and you realize, uh, that there is uh, judgments due or payments due on the property, uh, is the first step to help the seller, just like you just said, help the seller to negotiate that down? Or do you take a stab at it? What's kind of the first next step once you find out, okay, there's an outstanding balance on on the home? Sure. Well, my personal opinion is this. So if I am trying to buy the home and I call that company myself and I say, hi, my name's Dayton and I'm trying to buy this home, they're never going to negotiate it down. Because they know somebody wants to buy the house and they look at it as a payday. And so I try and help the sellers, um, give them a call themselves um, and just say, hey, you know, I'd like to settle this with you. I know that it's there. I fortunately can't pay the full amount. You know, can we come to an agreement? Maybe something that's a little bit less that I'd be able to pay you. Um, and so then generally those companies want to work with them because, you know, it could be three, five, seven, ten 10 years they've been waiting on this money. Um, and if they can get 50% versus zero of never, um, then a lot of times they'll do some negotiating. 
but I'll tell them that you don't want me to call because if they find out I want to buy the house, yeah. they're never going to give you a, a break. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Well, let me ask you uh, also something maybe for um, that might help a, a newer investor who, who would run into a situation like this. What do you think, um, this might be a hard one to answer, but what do you think is one of the biggest mistakes that uh, new or uh, maybe uninformed investors can make when they run into a situation like this? Uh, a Do you call it like a, a not clean title? Is that what you would, I guess, call it? Uh, uh, yeah, just, uh, yep, that's fine. Uh, just okay. a, a title, <laughs> is, yeah, I mean, that, they'll, they'll get it. You yeah. know, the, the biggest thing that I see people do is they give up too easy. And mm -hmm. I come across people a lot, and obviously we go to lots of meetings and we do lots of talks, um, and, and I'll hear, well, I found out it had a lien, so I walked away from it. And it could be an mm -hmm. awesome deal. Interesting. And, you know, maybe it's a $10,000 lien or something like that, and I hear it all too often. And I'll say, well, why did you walk away from it? Well, you know, it was a lien, so there's just nothing I could do about it. And so anyways, then we have conversations with them about different routes that you can go, different options, especially things like code enforcement. Because, mm. you know, I may not necessarily like that they have the ability to charge people $500 a day, but part of me understands why they do it. Mm. Um, you know, they're trying to protect the integrity of a neighborhood. They're trying to keep everybody, you know, keeping their properties looking nice, not having broken down vehicles in the front yard or or grass that a cougar can live in, take your pick, you know, whatever it is. Um, Was there seriously cougar in there? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Oh my gosh. Um, I thought you said it twice and I was like, I bet you, oh my gosh, what, was there actually cougar in there? Okay. Okay. No, that would be funny though. <laughs> but let me put it, it this tall way. Enough if it's way high been. grass, pe people who know me know that I'm deadly scared of snakes, right? Oh man. They're, yeah. They're, then that's, they're straight yeah. from the devil. There's not even a question about it. <laughs> If it's waist-high grass, I'm not walking in there. Oh, that's fair enough, man. <laughs> Which is funny because I'm a pretty big guy, and most people yeah. are like, you're scared of snakes? And I'm like, yeah, they are, they're yeah, pretty much the worst thing ever. <laughs> but oh, yeah. uh, anyway, so I mean, I get the ideas behind a lot of the liens and, and why they're there. Um, but at the end of the day, the code enforcement people just want the house taken care of. And so if you go to them with the attitude of let me help you, you know, because you just want a nice block, that's what I want as well. The nicer the block is, the more rent I can get, the more I can resell the house for, whatever it is. It's a win-win situation for me to come in and fix your issue for you. Mm. So help me help you make your neighborhoods better, make your property value go up, you get more tax money, everybody wins. And mm -hmm. so that's the big thing that whenever I'm trying to help out a, a seller or even a new investor, um, go into it with the attitude of, I want to help you help me and we can both win. Yeah. Um, and usually the people are super, super nice. I, I don't think I've ever had a person at the city um, that's been snippy or snappy with me as mm -hmm. long as I have a good attitude and I'm talking to them nicely and just treating them like a person. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really good advice. Yeah. To just not give up because I bet people do. I mean, that's a pretty scary number, right? Or pretty scary um, uh, feedback to hear something comes back and says, Hey, there's a $10,000 lien on the property. That's pretty scary, but to not give up and to press into that because a lot of it can be negotiated to your point. Well, and the, the good news is, is that honestly, those are the houses that are usually a better deal 
because you don't know if three or four other investors saw the house, but the, the, the code enforcement lien or whatever the lien is scared them away. And so mm, they were like, ah, yeah. I don't want to tackle that one. Um, and so then, hey, maybe you're the one that can go in and fix it and, and make a bunch of money. Um, you know, I guess we didn't talk numbers, but in a nutshell on that house, we actually bought it for zero dollars. What? <laughs> okay. Maybe, maybe I should have included that. But the, the homeowner wanted <laughs> How did to be that rid happen? of it. They, they wanted to be rid of the house so bad that he signed it over to us if we would take over the, the lien. Wow. Right? If that makes I mean, sense. I guess technically like, without negotiating it, it's a $300,000 home, right? Like he's you got thinking, it. wow. Okay. And, and so, uh, and granted there was those other fees, you know, if, if you remember the homestead problem. So it wasn't yeah, just yeah. 3000. We ended up paying, I think it was something like 20 basically in fines and fees for the okay. house. Okay. Um, but after we were all said and done, uh, we sold it for close to a hundred and I think we netted somewhere around 50 grand or so. Wow. Um, so yeah, it ended up being a, a smoking deal. There aren't many yeah. hundred thousand dollar houses that you can make fifty grand on. Right, right. I've been doing this right. a long time, um, <laughs> so that that worked out very well. But that's what I'm saying is you might be the only person willing to tackle that issue, and if you are, the payoffs can be huge. Yeah, interesting. Okay, that's yeah, that's really good advice. Let me um, kind of shift gears away from the. Um, the the property questions and ask you something about you and your um, your real estate career. What is what do you think is the, uh, one of the most probably hard to peg the most? Uh, but what's one of the most valuable things, Dayton, that you've done uh, for your real estate uh, education uh, that you took? That if if someone is is uh, kind of getting their feet wet, like I said, and they're learning real estate, um, uh, that you would encourage them to do that was really valuable for you and your knowledge and your education. I think that the most important thing in real estate investing is understanding the power of money. Um, and, and what I say that, especially learning how you can try and maximize the return on the money that you're putting into a deal um, to get the best return. Um, you know, I often hear people, uh, and I'll, I'll use rentals as an example, because I truly believe that one day my dream is that I'm sitting on the beach with a drink in my hand and I get a tap on my shoulder and it's my very sweet male lady who comes and visits me every day. And she just <laughs> says, here's your checks, Mr. Norheim. And she hands me the checks from my rentals and then goes on her way. And I go back to, you know, whatever it is I'm doing. Um, but learning how to um, maximize the money that you have, because people often say, I don't have enough money to buy a rental or I don't have this. But if you connect with people where you can either use their money and partner with them or you learn to leverage the money that you have in order to get a cash flow plus a return on your or a return of equity as you make payments over time, I think that's one of the most important things that you can do in real estate. Mm -hmm. That's well said. That's interesting. Um, all right, let me ask you something else. So uh, as you look forward uh, at, at JDL or any of the other projects that you have going on, um, where do you see yourself uh, one year from now uh, as you look forward and you set goals? What's something that you want to be doing one year from now, maybe that you're not doing today or a way in which you're growing something you're already doing? Where do you see uh, yourself in your career in a year? You know, uh, especially with the wholesaling thing, we're always working on trying to adapt and, and find new ways. Um, and we're currently looking at several different options to try and change our business and how we do it. Mm. And especially 
you, you know, I may not elaborate fully on what we're doing because we've got to hammer out some of the kinks at this point. Sure. But not doing what everybody else does mm-hmm. um, and trying to essentially, you know, look forward, be a leader um, and, and not waiting for other people to say, hey, this is the best strategy to use. You know, if you want to be successful in real estate, and especially if you are looking to find motivated sellers yourself, you need to try and be leading and not following what everyone else is doing. Because if you just do, um, you know, a little bit of direct mail here and there, if you just do a couple of bandit signs every now and then, um, that won't truly make you successful. Mm -hmm. Um, You need to be out there and basically figuring out the new ways um, and either be more efficient, cut down on your costs, reach more people, um, or get better leads. But you need to figure out your own way to do a bunch of that. And so I'm pretty excited about some of the stuff that we're doing. And awesome. I think that in a year, um, our business will be much different than it is today. That's awesome. That's awesome. You guys are looking for those opportunities and adjusting. I'm sure that's going to be key to your success going forward. Um, okay, so so lastly, Dayton, um, what do you think... Um, this is just helpful to kind of understand, uh, yeah, what you've learned along the way for people that are listening and looking to get started or looking to take their business to the next level. What do you, when you look back at yourself, uh, when you started, uh, that first day you show up with the suit and jacket or the jacket and tie on, um, and you're uh, eager, ambitious, ready to go from that point, uh, till now, what, what would you go back and tell yourself on that first day that you've learned in the period of time that you've been doing real estate that you think would save you the most trouble? Um, couple things. Now, the very first thing that I would say, because I'm, I'm typically a very conservative person. I'm from North Dakota where we're about as conservative as it gets. (laughs) Um, and I remember to take on my first project, I was scared to death. Um, and you know, you think, well, this could go wrong and that could go wrong. And you know, you just think about all the the bad things that can happen. Um, and, and you can't let that be a roadblock. Um, will there be some stuff that goes wrong in ed- any project? Probably. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just saying that from, from the many flips that we've done at this point, but nothing can't be solved. You know, mm-hmm. it might be some more phone calls. It might be some more research. It might be a conversation with the city, um, but you can figure it out, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's pretty much what it comes down to. And, you know, I, I often joke that, um, you know, when the first problems came up in those first ones, I was freaking out. My stomach was churning and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, now something happens. and I'm like, all right, well, let's find a solution. And, and it's pretty much come down to being that simple. Um, the other thing I would say, and I, I have been blessed. Um, I truly have with some of the people around me um, who have kind of taken me under their wing, showed me the ropes. Um, find someone who can be there for you, be a mentor to you, if you will. Um, so many people want to, um, learn on their own and, you know, they go through the hard knocks route where they want to learn, um, by doing it wrong themselves. There, there's so many people who have done, you know, hundreds of flips or, you know, whatever the case is. And if you just go, Hey, you know, I've got a question for you. And, you know, most of them are nice enough to answer. Or sometimes it's a little bit more in depth if you want more one-on-one stuff, um, but taking the time to to really find someone who can help you, um, they'll cut years, and I mean that, literally mm, years mm. off your learning curve and make you that much more successful that much faster. Um, mm. that's, that's truly my advice to new people. 
Um, trying to do it on your own, you know, we all go to classes and, you know, you catch bits here and catch bits there, but, but really finding someone who can take you under their wing is, is by far the most important thing you can do. Yeah. I mean, you hear, you do, you hear that over and over again, where people say, um, surround yourself with people who, who have done it before, um, so that you're not doing it for the first time yourself and doing it blind. And I mean, if you hear that from so many people, um, so seasoned, I mean, it must, you know, really be important and and that's good advice. Good reminder. And if you're always Uh, the smartest person in the conversation, you need to join another conversation. Yep. Yep. You bet. That's right. Um, well, awesome. Dayton, this was really good insight. That was a really, really interesting deal. Thanks for breaking it down. Um, where can people and your, uh, JDL and you guys are like in the greater central Florida area, right? Yeah, we pretty much cover all of central Florida. You know, our office is in Brevard County. Anybody okay. wants to come stop by, we've got a massage chair, nice. um, <laughs> all kinds of fun stuff at the office. We're more than happy to, to host anyone. Um, but we cover pretty much anywhere over to, you know, Tampa, down to St. Lucie County, up to Daytona, um, okay. and, and and sometimes beyond that. So it just kind of depends. We put on a lot of miles. Yeah, um, I bet. But I'm bet. always, yeah, always more than willing to have a conversation or a couple emails or whatever if anybody, you know, has questions or that I can help them with. Yeah, yeah. Where can people uh, reach you, Dayton? Uh, easiest way is, you know, you can either call or text me. My cell phone number is 321-608-1900. Um, or you can email me. Uh, it's Dayton, my first name, at jdlwholesalers.com. Um, more than happy to to see if I can help you out. Perfect. Thanks, thanks for offering that, man. I appreciate that. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's all I got for you today. All the questions I had anyways. And that was super, super valuable. I really appreciate you taking the time, man. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me on and I always enjoy talking to you. So yeah, you bet. You bet. Have a good rest of your day, man. You as well. Bye-bye. If you guys enjoy the show, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. That actually helps a lot to get the podcast out there as people are looking for helpful real estate investing resources online. You can also like our Facebook page to keep up to date with new episodes as they publish. And don't forget to subscribe through whatever podcast player that you use. If you have questions about a specific topic that we covered, or if you have a suggestion about another area that you'd like to see me dig into, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please reach out. I'd love to get in touch. You can email me at brandon at realestatefortherestofus.com. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. One show at a time, we'll work to make real estate investing accessible for the rest of us.